welcome to the Developing Strategy podcast. So far over this series, we've introduced some tools that can help you make sense of your business. So by now, hopefully you have a good idea of why the opportunities in your industry lie and how your business is positioned within that. Today, we're going to take a bit of a step back and use some tools that can help you sense check some of those assumptions you have now. So, Dad, do you want to explain what I mean by that? Absolutely. So we've covered various tools and we've actually now looked in some detail at all the things we need to in order to put together the strategy matrix, which we actually referred to very early on as a kind of an interesting way of taking a snapshot of a particular business. It can be adapted actually to use non-business environments, but let's simplify it a little bit by talking about a business. Um, And this strategy matrix uh, basically has two axes. One is how attractive is the opportunity, um, which in the business normally is in terms of its size, its growth, and the actual average profitability of the industry, whether it's more like the pharmaceuticals business or it's more like um, the airlines business, which is really tough. And then how likely you are to succeed in that business, uh, which we said is going to be a combination of two things, um, how much value you're creating for customers, but actually more fundamentally, uh, whether you have a competitive advantage. And so if you've done all the work, which which has been covered in the, the, the recent uh, podcast episodes, you should be able to go back to that matrix and have a bit more of an analytical view, in fact, quite a lot more of an analytical view that explains why you think what you did. So, you know, you may well have started out brainstorming. And I do this with groups. I get them to try and brainstorm. Where do they think the different segments of their business are on the strategy matrix? I say, oh, that's interesting. Let's pick it apart. And depending on how analytical we need to be, we go through Porter's five forces and value curves and analyses of competitive advantage to sort of see, well, you know, does it make sense? Does the hypothesis bear out? Now, we still haven't got any really good quantification of performance at this point. We're still hypothesizing, if you like, making more and more educated guesses. Mm. But now we can put that matrix together, which is kind of a snapshot of where we are today. Let's talk about how you can test those um, assumptions from facts and and sort of KPIs that you can measure and, and use. So I think there's two approaches. One is that you actually try and quantify your strategic analysis. So I'll give you a good example. Uh, When we used to work with, say, paper mills, and we believe there might be scale in the business, we might plot the average cost of production for different paper mills at our client versus uh, the size of the plant. And indeed, we might see that there was, um, you could quantify the fact that cost came down as the scale of the plant rose. The bigger the plant, the cheaper its costs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's actually a huge amount you can do, which is highly customized to the industry you're in and what data is available around just analyzing the basis for competitive advantage um, and so on. But then at the end of the day, you've, you've alluded to this, you say, okay, fine. We think we are, say, a strong player in an attractive market. Let's see how much money we're actually making. Now, some of those things are easy to measure, like what's our revenue? Is our revenue growing? And that could indicate, is this a large market? Is it a fast growing market? The one I want to focus on a little bit more now is how do you measure profitability? Let me ask you, what should be the most profitable types of business on our strategy matrix? Mm. So I guess the most profitable in very simple terms are just in the most attractive markets. Yeah. 
and they have a high chance of success, or they do very yeah. well. Yeah, and obviously at the opposite end, if we think, well, oh, that's an unattractive market mm. and we're weak, then we'd expect that to make very low returns. So for profitability, there's a range of metrics. Now, some people might just use some kind of margin, like the profit divided by sales. But for reasons we'll get into, I prefer something which is more of a ratio of the profit that we make to the investment we've put in. Mm. Uh, a fairly basic one would be a return on assets. And the reason is that investors ultimately are concerned with how much money they get out on the basis of the money they put in. So if they make a tiny margin, but they only put a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of money in, that might actually be quite a good return on their investment. Uh, whereas they make a big margin, but had to put a huge amount of money in, like when you invest in, say, a utility company or a you know, very asset-intensive business, you need a really huge margin to get yourself to, to have a good return on your investment. So anything that measures return on investment is what I'm normally after. That's all, normally a little bit harder to get than profit margins because it means you have to look at the balance sheet and the assets in the business. So the typical measures are things like return on assets, um, return on net assets, which is where you deduct the assets that you don't have to fund yourself perhaps because you can effectively be borrowing money from your suppliers, you don't pay them that quickly. Uh, and so sometimes you, although you have a bunch of assets that you have to have to be in a business, you're getting some of the financing from some of your suppliers. So return on net assets or return on capital employed, which is the same idea as return on net assets. Those are normally the metrics we use. You can do things like return on equity, but that includes the effect of debt. You can do things pre-tax or post-tax. Normally pre-tax is a bit easier because tax effects and debt effects aren't really what the strategist is concerned about. Those are what a financier is, is concerned about. So I'm trying to look at the underlying profitability of the business. Now, that's a lot of stuff. So let me pause there and get your comments because you do this on a day-to-day -day basis, Charlie. Okay, yeah, I did have one question. Um, actually, so we usually just use margin because that's kind of appropriate for the benchmarks we use where you're comparing competitors across an industry and mm -hmm. if you're evaluating a target for an acquisition that's kind of that's an adequate level of detail so what, what do you think about using margin you've justified return on capital there but why why do you think that's so important when you're modeling um, how a business will evolve and what your current business is you really do need to think about your return on assets so for example let's say you know we make a margin whatever it is five percent on sales but it uses a lot of assets. It's more like a utility business, which is very asset intensive than, say, a retail business, which actually isn't very asset intensive. If you were to go into a business like that and grow it, every time you grow it, you have to put a huge amount of money in to fund your utility, which has got lots of power stations and wires and poles that you have to build to distribute the power. If you're only making 5%, you might be putting 100 in to generate another 5 it's just not a good return, um, whereas actually maybe 5% margin in retail is really good. So I do think you have to know something about the asset intensity because it dictates how much money you're going to have to put in as you grow this business. Now, you could benchmark across an industry and say, well, we know that, you know, the asset intensity is a certain amount. This is very asset intensive or very asset like as an industry. And we're just looking across the industry to see whether some people are making better margins. And if everyone has the same asset structure, they they invest in the same sorts of things, then maybe that's fine. However, you'd have to be a bit careful because even if we take utilities, for example, 
if one utility like EDF has lots of nuclear power, which is incredibly asset intensive, you need to generate big margins to get a, the same return as investment as you might if they were only investing mm. in, say, gas fire generation, which has less asset intensity and therefore can be pretty profitable on lower margins than a nuclear power station. So, so you, you, you see what I mean is you'd have to be sure that you, your different competitors with the industry were comparable. Otherwise, your benchmarking of margin might hide differences in the asset intensity of businesses, which is getting a bit technical, I know. That's just a warning. Yeah, and it's interesting. So let's zoom back out then and think about the core question we're trying to answer here, which is really, you have a hypothesis which might look something like the opportunity in this market is over here and we currently have a strong positioning in another segment. Um, That's kind of the the level at which you might have your hypothesis at this Mm -hmm. stage, right? Mm -hmm. And this check is about saying, Okay, so given our understanding of the market, do the figures look like they add up to that? Yeah. Is the return on assets really more attractive in that area? Yeah. So let's think about taking that forwards. What if it's not what we expect? Um, right. what, what do we do then? Where's the problem? Yes, yeah, so if it's not what you expect, and that does happen, there's one of two possibilities. One is the numbers aren't quite correct, and you may be because there's lots of ways in which accounts can be deceiving, and I, I won't go through all of those. But then you then you have to have a bit of a forensic approach to looking at the uh, the financial numbers. Um, the other is simply you've got it wrong. You know you're too optimistic about mm. how profitable a certain business is, and I find that that makes you go back and look at your strategic analysis and question it. Now, like I said, it could be either the numbers are wrong or the strategic analysis are wrong, and you have to look at both. And in my experience, it actually pays to be sceptical about both because analysts can make a simple error in financial analysis, and because of the peculiarities of the way that company has is, is, is reported its results, they don't realize it's an error and a senior person won't realize it's an error until they actually really get under the skin a bit. So you do need to sometimes say, oh, maybe the financial analysis is wrong and our strategic analysis is correct. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's always worth looking at the numbers. There's a good quote actually from Winston Churchill, of all people. However beautiful the strategy, you should occasionally look at the results. <laughs> I really like. Yeah, and one thing that has occurred to me whilst we've been talking about the previous episodes is Actually, a lot of it does require being kind of stepping back and being a bit reflective on your own position and mm-hmm. your own industry and trying to be honest with yourself. So it's kind of kind of natural, I guess, that if you were doing that, that you'd be optimistic or pessimistic in some respects. So yeah. this this stage is all about that that sense check. Yeah, Great. absolutely. And that's really the one message, you know, run some numbers to make sure that whatever you've been thinking about over the last uh, bits of analysis you've been doing makes some reasonable sense. And if not, think hard about what might be going on great i think we'll end things there as always all the materials will be on our website um, and do get involved on the faqs and kind of on the facebook page as well um, but for now i think we'll I'll, we'll leave it there so see you guys next week Bye.